chapter 15 is where we're going to be this evening, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 21 through 28 here in this passage. It's a really interesting story. Um, I had a question about it um, about halfway through the week, and the question went something like, what's the deal with Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman? And I think that's a great question because it's a little bit of a uh, difficult text based off of what Jesus says to the woman. It's hard to grasp what, what Jesus is actually getting at. And I think that this story actually has uh, kind of become a hotbed in recent times. I, I saw a video um, probably six months to a year ago, um, and when I first saw it, uh, my first reaction was um, pretty intense anger uh, because uh, this passage has become one of those passages that is uh, used to try and um, bend the Bible to the culture's way of looking at things. Um, the, the video in particular that I, that I saw was a, um, a preacher who was self-proclaimed a woke preacher. Um, and he looked at this story and he said, well, you can clearly see that uh, Jesus uh, struggled with uh, racism because of the way that he uh, talked to this woman. And through what she said, we clearly see that Jesus made a mistake and Jesus repented of his mistake. And my first initial reaction was anger because, you know, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is the Son of God. He, he doesn't sin. And I, I think that misses the, the complete picture of who Jesus is. And that's why I think it's important for us when we, when we hear about things like that or see things like that, that we need to look at these stories in their context to try and understand what Jesus was actually saying so that we can have a grasp on the overall message. And so tonight I want to look at this story of Jesus and the, and the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman, depending on your translation. I, I would imagine that most of us, when we read through the Gospel of Matthew, when we get to Matthew chapter 15 in this story, we have to stop and pause because what Jesus says here on its surface comes across extremely harsh and extremely unlike Jesus. Um, it's an odd and shocking statement that Jesus makes to a woman there in uh, chapter 15 and verse 26 when he says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And it's shocked. Shocking because it doesn't seem typical of Jesus to utter words that seem harsh to someone who has come to him clearly in need. Generally, Jesus is very compassionate and merciful to those who come to him in need. So what is Jesus trying to accomplish here in this text? And I think he is trying to accomplish something. There is a point that Jesus is trying to make here in this text. And I think the answer offers an important lesson for us this evening. But before we get into this text, I think we have to understand what's happened before all of this. So in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 10 through 20, Jesus deals with what really defiles a man, what really makes a man unclean. So in verse 10 he says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, 
It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I think clearly Jesus is aiming this at the Pharisees who spend so much of their time trying to enforce, you know, uh, purity laws on people where you have to wash just uh, every five seconds it seemed like in order to be clean because you didn't want to be unclean. You took every precaution that you could. It was another instance of the Pharisees taking the law and making it more difficult than it was intended to be. But Jesus says here, it's not what's on the outside that defiles a man. It's not, you know, going over here in the old law, you might go touch something and it would make you unclean. Jesus says, now that's not what makes you unclean. What makes a man unclean is what comes from his heart. The heart is incredibly important when it comes to purity, the purity of the heart. And again, the Pharisees took this idea to the nth degree, and Jesus flips it, on its head. What comes out of you from your heart is what makes you unclean. And so in verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus has a lot to say about the heart. He, he talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where you see that the heart is very important. He talks about, you know, anger. That's something that originates in your heart, and it can explode out of you. That makes you unclean. There's other things like that, but it's from the heart that men are made unclean. No longer is it, you know, I just didn't wash my hands before I ate something, and now I'm unclean, like the Pharisees tried to hammer in on people. But this shift of thinking that Jesus is bringing about has some ramifications uh, for anyone who hears what he says, and particularly these ramifications are what the text that we're going to look at here in just a second gets to. Jesus leaves this discussion on what is unclean, and chapter 15 tells us that he goes. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So what Jesus has just said for 15 through 20 is for 15 isn't what makes you unclean. It's what comes out of the heart. And the very next thing that Jesus does is he goes to a portion of the land that is filled with a bunch of unclean Gentiles. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre and Sidon don't have a good history in Israelite history. You think about Tyre, it is an infamous city in Old Testament history. Um, first of all, one of the most infamous queens of all time comes from that city. If you remember who that is from, from the story of the kings, it's Jezebel. She comes from the city of Tyre. If there was an unclean person in the Old Testament, it was Jezebel. Uh, she caused a ton of horror in the land of Israel as Ahab's queen. And if you look over in Ezekiel chapter 27 and Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel there denounces Tyre and prophesies that because of what it's been like, God is going to bring about its downfall and its ruin. And 
it's full of unclean Gentiles. Even to this day, when Jesus goes into this region, it's full of Gentiles, uh, clearly because this woman is a Canaanite woman who comes to him. It's full of unclean people. Uh, Sidon, which is the second place that is mentioned here, it also has a bad name in Scripture. Over in Isaiah chapter 23 and Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, we learn that it was really a hotbed for idolatry. We know that idolatry was a, a pretty, we talked about this this morning, was a pretty a big struggle for the Israelite people. If you look over in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 21 and 22, we see another problem that, that was with Sidon. In verse 21, it says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on, on the day of judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon are, are, are compared to these two other cities. I think it, it shows us that there was Gentile materialism going on in this city. And just like Tyre, it is a city full of unclean Gentiles. So again... Jesus has just got done, gotten done uh, basically condemning the Pharisees for their views on what makes a man clean and unclean by saying it's not what you touch that makes you clean, it's what makes you unclean, it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. And then Jesus goes to this region where a bunch of wicked people are from, where you wouldn't want to go because it's full of unclean Gentiles, and that's where Jesus goes. And lo and behold, in verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. It is a Canaanite woman that comes out to meet Jesus, an unclean woman that comes out to meet Jesus. She comes out to him and she's crying, she's weeping, and she is distressed and clearly because of what's going on with her daughter, she is desperate. She desperately needs someone to help her with the situation that's going on at home. And she, she seems to understand at least more about Jesus than the religious leaders of, of Israel understood. Because she calls him, O Lord. Now, it could mean a couple of things. It could be an acknowledgement of Jesus' deity. I think that's a possible. It could just simply be, you know, another way of saying, O sir, a term of respect. Uh, you're a teacher or something like that. Um, so, giving respect to Jesus. I, I think it's hard to gain uh, much about her understanding just from that phrase. But then she calls him the son of David. And how much she understands about who the son of David really is, I, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us how much she understands. But at the very least, it seems that she has heard of Jesus, and she has heard about what Jesus can do and what he has been doing, and even maybe what others believe about the son of David. Maybe she's heard, you know, in passing, some people go, have you heard about this guy? People are calling him the son of David. He's performing miracles 
He's casting out demons. He's, he's healing people. Maybe she's heard about him in that way. But her daughter is severely afflicted with a demon, and she believes that Jesus can help her, that Jesus can, can do something about her daughter's affliction. And when we hear that, we can understand why she comes to Jesus Christ. I mean, if it was your daughter, you would go to wherever you knew you could get help for your child. And can you imagine watching the child that you love and care about suffering with a demon? She has this dark cloud hanging over her daughter constantly. I'd imagine that was unbearable for this mother to watch her child suffering in this way. And her daughter isn't just afflicted, she's severely afflicted. This is a severe problem that's going on in this family. She comes to Jesus. She's heard about him. She's heard what she can do, and she puts all of her hope into the fact that Jesus can help her daughter. She puts all of her eggs into that basket. She comes to him, O Lord, Son of David, can you help me? I mean, when I read that, now I'm not Jewish and I didn't live back in that time, but when I read that now, it touches me. It touches me to see the love that this mother has for her daughter, the, the urgency she has to, to find someone who can help her. That's what makes what Jesus does so odd. Because in verse 23, it says, but he did not answer her a word. That does not seem like Jesus, does it? So often when somebody comes to Jesus saying, my son's dying or my daughter's dying or I've got this problem or this problem, Jesus almost always has some words for that person and he, he goes about the work of healing. And yet Jesus here in verse 23 doesn't say a word and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. I feel like I'm a pretty sympathetic person. I don't tell a whole lot of people this, but I'm a sympathetic crier. If I see somebody crying, I immediately start, start getting tears in my eyes. When someone comes to me with some kind of hurt in their lives, it's hard for me not to respond in some way. When I think about Jesus, I think about the Jesus that wept because his friend Lazarus had died or shows compassion to countless sick and needy people. I think that's what makes his response here so shocking. He doesn't respond. He is silent. As is often the case, though, the disciples respond. And they come to Jesus, and their response is more typical, particularly of a Jewish male in the first century. They come to Jesus and say, send her away. Get rid of her. She is annoying us. She keeps crying out after us. She's following us everywhere we go. This woman is annoyingly persistent. She just won't get out of the way. We, you haven't said anything to her. Just get rid of her. Send her away. And it's as if Jesus and the disciples have kept walking and, all, and she's just refusing to quit following them, crying out after them, asking for help. 
I tell you, this isn't a great look for the disciples. And it's one of the things that I appreciate about the disciples. I can relate to them because there are a lot of times in the story of the disciples where they don't look very good. This doesn't look very good. Send her away. They've seen what Jesus has done. They've seen how he's responded even to Gentiles. And yet they want him to send her away. Here's this heartbroken mother and all the disciples can do is say, Jesus, get rid of her. And it's at that point that Jesus begins to talk. And in verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, if his silence was a little odd, what he says here is a little bit odd. Because it seems like Jesus is agreeing with his disciples. You are this Canaanite woman. You're a Gentile. I agree with you all. We need to get rid of her. It's what it sounds like Jesus is saying. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I think that this statement is true. Jesus makes it, and I think it's true, but... The question is, is it always true and only true? Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In verse 6, when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, he says the same exact thing to the disciples when he sends them out. He says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we see that this statement is true. Jesus wanted his disciples here to go out to the lost sheep of Israel. But I think it's fascinating that Jesus sending out his 12 disciples to the lost sheep of Israel is sandwiched in between two instances where Jesus travels into Gentile territory. So yes, Jesus is right, he is sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He is going out to find those people. And he wants his disciples to go out and find those people. So why does Jesus say this to his disciples and this Canaanite woman? How many times in the Gospels does someone come to Jesus and he initially responds to them in a way that almost seems off-putting? For example, the lawyer in Luke chapter 10. You know the law. What does it say to you? Or the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? God is the only one who's good. I think there's a pattern that Jesus sometimes follows in his teaching. When someone comes to him, he doesn't initially do what we would expect him to do. He doesn't initially say what we would expect him to say or even what we would want him to say in that instance. So why does Jesus do this? Why does he begin in this confusing way with his disciples and with, these, and with this Canaanite woman? I think the reason Jesus does this is because he has a point to make. He has a lesson that he wants to get across to her and particularly to his disciples who need to get it because they have an important role coming after he's gone. They're not just going to be going after the lost sheep of Israel anymore. 
They're going to be going after the whole world. And if anything, in Matthew chapter 10, when we see them being sent out to the lost sheep of Israel, and around that we see Jesus going to the Gentiles, we realize Jesus is trying to begin including all people, but right now his mission is with the Jews, with the Jewish people. And so he has a point to make, and sometimes that point involves leading people step by step towards a conclusion of their own. He wants them to get it. He doesn't want to just have to hammer it into their head. He wants them to understand, okay, I can logically see how we got from here to here. He wants them to understand and have an understanding of their own. And we'll speak to that more in just a moment. But after Jesus didn't say anything, and then the disciples say what they say, and then Jesus says what he says, in verse 25, we turn back to the woman, and it says, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. This woman is not going to be deterred by everything that's happening. It might seem confusing to her. She's heard this, this, this teacher is willing to help people, and yet here he is. He hasn't helped her one bit. He's just been silent, and when he has said something, it's kind of been off-putting. And yet she comes back. She goes, please help me. She is desperate. She is in, in so much need that she will not leave them alone. Now we come to verse 26, where Jesus answers again in another really confusing way. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Even in our culture, where we love our dogs, we can kind of feel the sting of this. And again, this verse, sparks, this verse sparks all kinds of controversy because on the surface, what Jesus says seems to be all kinds of wrong. Is he calling this woman a dog? That doesn't sound like the Jesus that I read about in the New Testament. And I think, you know, the, I referred to that video earlier. I think that's a pretty common way that people take this passage, that Jesus being fully human is a typical Jewish male who would have looked down on this Canaanite woman as less than nothing. And yes, a typical Jewish man might, uh, and a typical human might struggle with prejudices, but if we are to believe Scripture, then we are to believe that Jesus was sinless. And secondly, that kind of prejudice is so out of character for Jesus, based on what we've seen from him so far in the Gospels, I think it becomes unbelievable that what Jesus is doing here is sin. We've already talked about him going into regions where the Gentiles were. If he were a typical Jewish man, he would try and avoid those areas at all costs. You think about some of the people that he's helped. You remember the centurion's servant in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. That's a Roman soldier that Jesus helps. And this centurion was a Gentile because Jews weren't allowed to serve in the Roman army. And when he comes to Jesus, what does Jesus do? He commends his faith. In fact, he commends it more than he commends the faith of the Jews and his own disciples. 
And so the idea that Jesus is prejudiced in his response to this woman, I think is hard to swallow, particularly with what Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, as a Roman soldier, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The big picture of the Gospel of Matthew, Gentiles are everywhere. They're hard to miss. They're all over the pages of Matthew. In fact, they are in Jesus' own genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. There are Gentile women listed there in the line of Jesus. Wise men from the east are the ones that come and see Jesus after he is born. So why does Jesus speak like this? If we know Jesus is sinless, if we know that, that he is compassionate and merciful to Gentile people, why does Jesus call this woman a dog here? Why does he say it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Why is he silent? And then why does he seem dismissive of her? Why does he seem to insult her? Have you ever thought about the best teachers you had in school? The best teachers that you had in school were likely the ones that didn't spoon-feed you the answers. I, had, I was homeschooled, but I went to a tutorial school um, during my high school days, and there were a couple teachers that they made me work to get the answers to the questions. There were other teachers I had that just kind of gave it to me, and it was, it was just easy. You just sat there, and they gave you the answers. The best kind of teachers don't, don't spoon-feed you the answers. They lead you on a journey, journey of discovery so that you can learn what you need to learn, so that your knowledge can be your own. They prod you and they push you in a certain direction. And I think what we see here in Matthew chapter 15 is a master teacher at work. Jesus is pushing his disciples to see something. He's pushing this woman to understand something. Jesus is doing all of this, not only to teach his disciples, but this woman as well. And so what I think Jesus is doing here is he is giving voice to the prejudices that everybody else in the world would have. Giving voice to the prejudices that his disciples would have about this woman, that the Pharisees would have about this woman, that almost every other Jew would have about this woman and the area that they are in. He's giving voice to that. And in verse 27, the woman responds to him. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What an amazing response. After what she has, you know, been through here, from Jesus not answering her to him being kind of dismissive to her to giving voice to this prejudice, that others would have. She responds in an amazing way. And what she says is a rebuttal 
of what the common thinking of that day that Jesus gives voice to here to make a point. He says, I understand that the children get the meal. I get that. But even the dogs get a little bit from the plate of the children as it falls on the ground. I don't know how much this woman understood about the story of the Bible, but her answer is spot on. God did pick the children of Israel to be his special people. He picked them at the very beginning with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. They were his special people throughout the history of the Old Testament. They did receive blessing after blessing from his hand. They were his special nation. They were his children. But you know what? He picked them that way, and he chose them that way, and he made them his special people to an end so that Israel would then become a blessing to all the other nations. That was part of the the promise to Abraham. Through your seed, what? All nations of the earth will be blessed. And so it's Matthew's gospel that begins with Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And ends with Jesus telling his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And you remember what Paul said to the Jew first, then what? To the Greek. And so maybe it is that Jesus uses this woman here and what he says to this woman to teach his disciples who are about to become a new Israel. and by extension those of us who are now his children, that we need to be using the blessings that God, that God has given us to bless those outside the family of God, to reach those outside the family of God with a knowledge of Jesus. I don't know how much she knew. Maybe she spoke better than she understood or knew. But I'll tell you what, her persistence leads to one of the warmest commendations in the Bible. Because in verse 28, Jesus completely flips the table. And he says to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I think Jesus' apparent reluctance to answer her and do something about her problem wasn't because of some prejudice on his part. But rather it was intentional. He wanted to get a point across to his disciples. He wanted to teach this woman something. And I believe he responded to her in just the right way to elicit this great response of faith on her part. And why would he do it like that? Well, you think about it. How did God bring out Abraham's great faith in the Bible? He told him to go offer his son. That's pretty difficult to hear. How often in Scripture does God do things that seem difficult and off-putting or counterintuitive but are designed to bring out faith in us? If you believe that Jesus and only Jesus can give you what you need, you will be glad for any test that clarifies and refines your faith. All too often when we are faced 
with hard circumstances, our response is self-pity and doubt. When we ask for God's help and it doesn't look like he's answering right away, and sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it feels like our problems just keep going on and Jesus isn't doing anything about it, even though I've asked him to do something about it over and over again. Oftentimes we begin to look elsewhere. We look into ourselves. We look to out, uh, outside for help. This Jesus here in this text is teaching about perseverance and faith to this woman. This woman doesn't give up. She keeps asking for help because she has faith, because she believes that Jesus is the only one who can help her. She has great faith. In fact, it's the only time in the Gospels that someone is said to have great faith. Comparable to that centurion that we talked about a moment ago whose faith is unsurpassed. They're two Gentile people that Jesus commends for their faith. But I think Jesus was teaching his disciples too. He wanted to elicit this response of faith from this woman, but he wants to teach his disciples too. Because before and after this story, Jesus says something about their faith. And it's not so great. You notice what he says in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You remember that story? That's Peter trying to walk on the water. It's one of Jesus' disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8, but Jesus, aware of this, as the disciples are going, where are we going to get food? What's Jesus talking about with the leaven of the Pharisees? Jesus said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Wow, in contrast to this woman, Jesus is trying to teach them about faith. How they need to have faith like this Canaanite woman who has persistently come after Jesus, asking for his help. Jesus is teaching the disciples what their faith needs to look like. And all they wanted to do was shoo her away. Get out of here. They needed to learn something from this woman about faith. And they needed to learn something from Jesus about the, the faulty thinking they had about the, about the Gentiles. That was where the gospel was going to go, and it was going to go through their hands, but they had to get to the point where they understood that first. Jesus, the master teacher, helps them to get along the way. So I think when we, when we put all these pieces together, I think we begin to see the application for us in all of this. Before our text this evening, Jesus talks to the, the Pharisees and the scribes in verses 8 and 9 of Matthew chapter 15. He says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Contrast them to this woman. Then you have verses 10 through 20, where Jesus talks about what really makes a man clean, and it's your heart that will make you clean. It's your heart that can make you unclean. And now we know what first century Jews thought made you unclean. Being a Gentile, being with a Gentile. They thought Gentiles were like unclean dogs. 
Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. You are completely missing the mark. Purity, cleanness is a matter of the heart. This Gentile woman that they would have viewed as unclean is cleaner than any of them, more pure than any of them because her heart is faithful, full of belief in Jesus. And in the case of this Canaanite woman, we see Jesus does more than just teach purity as a matter of the heart. He enacts it. This Gentile, this unclean woman of the Canaanites, the epitome of uncleanness in the Old Testament, shows great faith in Jesus, the son of David. She shows persistence. And through that faith, she is pure. And it is through a heart that believes in Jesus, believes that he has all the answers, and a belief so strong <coughs> that even when it feels like God is not answering our needs as quickly as we want him to, we persist even more in our prayers. We persist even more in our requests of him to help us. This is the story of a purified heart. When everyone else around said what you touch makes you unclean, Jesus says this woman's faith that comes from her heart has purified her. That is the message that Jesus is getting across to his disciples and to us. And isn't that what we all want? Purified hearts. That's what we should desire. That's what we need. Purified hearts. And we begin the process of having purified hearts by having a faith that is so persistent that nothing will turn us away from the one that we serve, Jesus. Nothing will keep us from getting to him. Nothing will keep us from talking to him and asking him for help. The question is, do we have 